Uh, you can go in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 if you want to, but I'm also going to be putting it up on the board here in just a minute. Um, don't have time to just go into where we were last week. Uh, Missy and I, we went to, took Bella to a college visit to Harding University. It went extremely well. I can tell you about it at another time, but we're glad to be back um, here with you today. You know, I grew up in a very small town in northwest Alabama, and just about everybody there went to church, or they uh, believed in God. You know, a town of 5,000 at that particular time has kind of gone down since, since I left, which, you know. But, uh, but at, at one time, we were averaging about 500 people a week at our congregation. The First Baptist Church, the United Methodist Church, they were bringing in big crowds. Then you had all these little churches throughout the town and out in the countryside, and they were packing their little churches too. All my teachers, all my teachers were believers in Jesus. And really the only defense of the gospel I think that I ever had to make, or the defending of my faith, was people asking me questions, why is it the Church of Christ doesn't use instrumental music? (laughs) So you know exactly what I'm talking about. And those other churches, they had things that people would ask them from other people who are believers in Jesus. And that was was the defense for our faith. But things have changed over the last 30 years, pretty drastically. And there are some things that I think scare us as well. But, But I'm here to tell you that I believe that this is what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. It's really what separates a true disciple from people who are just pretenders. And we've got to be able to defend the faith of our God and of ourselves. In some ways, I'm kind of glad this day has have arrived. In some ways. Just in the sense of we're really beginning to see who the enemy is. We often have always seen that the real enemy is people who disagree with us on a few things in the Bible. But now we're starting to see questions such as, why do you believe in this? This thing you call God. I think it's silly. I think your Bible is just nothing but a bunch of fairy tales. What do you you say to people who, who say, well, I see, you know, I hear about Jesus. I think Jesus is a great person, but I don't think he's the only way to salvation. How do you defend those things? And so what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says is, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you of the hope that is, uh, the, for the reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. Peter is encouraging. Joe is teaching this class on Sunday mornings right after worship and and he is encouraged here we see Peter encourages disciples to be courageous during these difficult times that in these difficult times that you need to be ready to clarify your beliefs to clarify your actions and why you live a certain way when people come to you and they question you or they mock you for your faith it's easy to be a Christian folks when everybody in town 
are believers in Jesus. That's easy. But what do you do when people question the very existence of God? The very existence of who, of what, what it is that you believe. And what Peter shows us is that there is no excuse for a disciple to be completely unable to defend the faith. He says it comes out of this reason for the hope that you have where? It's supposed to be something that's in you. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be, everybody in here is going to be experts on apologetics. Okay, that's a fancy word. It just simply means defense. Doesn't mean that, but that you should always be ready to give an answer for a reason for this hope that you have in you. The very thing that drives you here today. Your Bible, it is the greatest gift that God, it is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity. You know that? We talked about that in the, the very first lesson. And, and look, being a true disciple of Jesus is someone who's a person of the book. They're biblically minded. They're biblically thinking. And, and it's not enough to just simply say, well, I believe the Bible because the Bible says it. And I just believe it. That's not a defense. That's a feeling. There's a big difference. Let me tell you something. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that to be a true prophet of God, one must be 100% accurate in their prophecies. 100%. If not, they're not a true prophet. Now you think about that. You just, you just think about what it says. There are 2,500 prophecies that are found in Scripture. 2,000 of those have been fulfilled with amazing precision. 500 of those are about things that are to come. And I believe the 500 that, are about, that he says is coming because of the 2,000 that have already happened and they, it was accurate. And to kind of give you an idea of how astronomical that, that, that should be to us, by the law of chance, it would require, require 2,000, two, not 2,000, 200 billion earths with 4 billion people on all of those earths to produce one person who could give 100 prophecies correctly in sequence. And the Bible has 2,500. The Bible is written by 40 separate individuals from three different continents, three different languages in which it is written over a course of 1,500 years. And it has one single theme that runs through the entire book. The glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The people who wrote it, these weren't just a bunch of people who, you know, went to Bible school. In fact, some of them who wrote, they were, were kind of the opposite to that. And, and it gives witness, really, as to what they're trying to say. There is, there is this guy, Matthew, and he wrote a book in the Bible. Does anyone know what book he wrote? What? Matthew, see, you, you guys, y'all are so smart. Uh, but Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. He was the scum of the earth. 
He was the worst of the worst. He, w- he didn't go to church, quote-unquote, every week, synagogue, because not only because he probably didn't want to, he wasn't allowed to go. And then he met Jesus, and everything changed in his life. And after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was willing to die in defense of the message of Jesus. James and Jude, they wrote a couple of books or letters. They're the, the, they're the baby brothers of Jesus. Now, if you read the Gospels, the Gospels are very honest about the family of Christ when he was going through his teaching ministry. They did not believe that Jesus was who he's claiming to be. In fact, they were very embarrassed by it. And they were like, Mama, look, we got to bring him home because this is looking bad on, on the name here. But then those brothers saw Jesus die and raise from the dead. And suddenly they believed that Jesus is their Savior. Now, some of you, you have some wonderful siblings. You love them very much. But if they started proclaiming that they were, you know, the Son of God, um, then, you know, might have some questions. I mean, Bob Brackett, his brother's Charlie Brackett, preacher, you know, he's, he's, he's a good guy. Uh, but if he started saying he was the Son of God, Bob, what are you thinking? No, no, he's not. But because, no, we don't think that about our... There's something that happened that changed these boys. We could go on and on about that, but let's just talk about the manuscripts that we have in Scriptures. More than any other book in the ancient world, this one can be trusted more than any other. And let me show you why. Because in the ancient manuscripts, we only have ten copies of this thing called Caesar's Wives. Everything we believe about the Caesars is from these ten copies from the ancient world. We don't doubt it. We're like, yeah, that's what it is. We got ten copies. Plato, you ever heard of that guy? We got seven copies of Plato. And people are like, oh, Plato, oh, he's brilliant. Blah, 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 blah. I believe everything he says. But you know, Homer's Iliad, it's the second most ancient documents that we have. 634. That's pretty impressive when you look at the 10 and the 7, right? And, and that is until you realize that the New Testament has over 24,000 copies. 24,000 copies and 99.5% of the differences that you find in those copies have to do with spelling or things that are difficult or cannot be translated into English. Folks, this book, it's the mind of God. I believe it. The world is going to try to discredit this book and you're going to realize that a lot of things that they say, it is easily explained. Know your Bible. Know why you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You defend it because this is the very thing that you're going to need to use to defend your faith. This is where your faith comes from. Don't be ashamed to be this Bible-quoting, Scripture-toting person, you know? Don't be ashamed of that. Look, it's not the same as being like this in-your-face, wide-eyed, crazy person who's always just throwing the Bible up in people's faces. Listen, it's God's Word. I I should not be ashamed to say, listen, I live my life because this book tells me how to live. Because it comes from God Himself. I believe that there is a God because I believe in this book. And I believe what it says about this book. 
I can defend it, and I can defend my God. Not that God needs to be defended. (laughs) But he says, if you're my disciple, I want you to be in defense. I want you to be able to talk to these. Don't be ashamed to go into a coffee shop and take out your Bible and just read it. Not because you're trying to make a statement, you know, you're trying to get in people's faces. Well, I'm just tired of this culture. I'm just going to start carrying my Bible. No, you do it because, you know, I just like to have uh, uh, my favorite cup of coffee when I'm reading the Bible. That's okay. But don't be ashamed of this book. Don't be ashamed of how it changes you. This book will never lie to you. It will never fail you. It will never leave you. You defend it. Let it defend your faith. Love this book. And and that means much more than just, you know what? I got a lot of great information. I'm talking about it changes you. It changes your life. That if I see it in there and I realize, you know what? That's not something I'm doing. I'm just going to, I got to do that. Because I love God. And I believe that God knows what's best for me. Because your greatest defense, listen to this, your greatest defense is not simply that you can quote a bunch of scriptures, but because you live by those verses that you can quote. And people see it living out in your life. That is a much greater defense that you're going to find. Philippians chapter 127 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How does your life defend the beautiful message of the good news of Jesus Christ? Does it? Because I'm here to tell you that when you find a group of people that are trying to live this book, and they know they're not perfect, but you know what? They love God, and they, they believe in what they believe, and they continue to learn, and all these... I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Let me tell you something's happening right now in this church. We have a group of young adults who meet every week. Every Tuesday night, they have, they have this, this study together. There's an atheist who comes to their Bible study. And, and, and Peyton has had talks with him before, and he's like, you know what? Before this group, he said, you know, I just saw Christians as being a bunch of bigots, close-minded, isolated, hypocritical, judgmental people who only care about themselves. And you may say, well, that's just, you. they probably got it somewhere. But it says, but this group is different. This group is loving and kind. They're not judgmental. They, they care about each other. They don't have it all figured out, but, but they're faithful in what they do believe. They're studying a book that he does not even believe in. And then, get this. Actually, I don't know if y'all can handle this. Y'all think y'all can handle this? He's invited somebody to come to Bible study with him. The only reason we need to be embarrassed about inviting people to church with us or to a, a Bible study group or to hang out with our Christian friends is if we're not living like Jesus. Because that does greater harm than it does anything else. 
And that's not going to mean that the world is going to leave you alone. It doesn't mean you're not going to be ridiculed. It doesn't mean that you're going to be the, you know, you're going to be voted most popular in your school. Or that everybody in your office is going to love you. In fact, some people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're just some religious radical. And they may say that only because you go to church every week. I mean, what we, what we call religious radicals today is totally different than what we called it 30 years ago. But here's what Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter. After he says, look, give that defense. He says, look, if you're insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed. Watch this. He says, because the spirit of, of, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Rejoice in the times that you go through suffering. Rejoice. It's not going to be forever. And here's the thing. God didn't leave us alone. And that's why when we talk about the defense of the gospel, we've got to talk about the Holy Spirit, don't we? Got to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, listen, uh, when I go, I, I'm sending my, the Spirit to come and be with you and in you. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus issues this, this series of warnings to the disciples about what it means to be a follower of his. And he says this, listen to this. He says in Luke chapter 12, 11 and 12, he says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in, in that very hour what you ought to say. The Spirit speaks through believers through in the time of these trials. And it, and it doesn't mean you're going to be acquitted. But you're going to give a powerful testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you over the years, I have been bombarded with things that I was not prepared for. Somebody, you know, knows I'm a preacher. I see them out somewhere. And all of a sudden they say, well, you know what? If God is a real God, if God is truly loving, why is it that my daughter died by a drunk driver and that drunk driver walked away without a scratch? How are you going to answer that? How are you defending that? Or, I've had this happen many times, well, the God of the Old Testament is a violent and mean God. Hateful. How are you going to answer that? And I can tell you, there have been a few times when I've started to give a defense of these things and, and really not really even thinking, you know, really having a, doing a lot of study ahead of time. And then I come out after I've said what I was going to say, and, and I don't mean it was like this, this you know, perfect explanation, but that I'm, I'm like, where did that come from? I really impressed myself, which tells me something. That's got to be the Holy Spirit within me because I'm not that intelligent and I'm not that fast on my feet. Look, I'm not talking about making up a bunch of stuff so you can save face, okay? Sometimes the best answer that you can give is, you know what, I don't know, and it bothers me too. Let me go and study it a little bit, and let's get back together and let's talk about it. Believe it or not, that's given an answer. But it's about, it's about being prepared, being ready 
to make a defense for the gospel, for the hope that is in you. And, and one more thing, as we talk about this defense of the gospel, I think we have to talk, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3.15, and we can't leave off this last part. It's got to be done with gentleness and respect. It's got to be done with gentleness and respect. Defending the Christian faith should never involve rude and disrespectful conversations. And I, let me tell you, people are going to get you riled up. They are. But the goal is not to win a debate. Listen, do you get me here? It's not about winning a debate. It's about giving, helping people see this hope that is within you. Helping people see God. And whether they see it or not, that's one thing. I've seen believers win a discussion and they com at the same time, they completely turn people off from God. And they do it because of the way they acted. Some people just like to argue. I know that's shocking to some of you. That's one of the reasons I get disgusted with social media. You know, you expect the world to act a certain way, and we don't like it. But I tell you what, when I see Christians, and all they do is get on there, and in their defense, all they do is just spew a bunch of venom. They are doing nothing but reinforcing what those on the outside world already believe about Christians, and that is, they are a bunch of jerks. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. This guy, Peter, we've been talking about, who wrote this after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he, we see a lot about Peter. Peter knew a lot about what he's talking about here. If you know that, when here comes these, this mob of people and they've got their clubs and their swords, Peter takes out a sword and he swings it at a man's head, cuts off his ear. Jesus says, stop, because that's not how you are de to defend me. You are not to defend the kingdom of God with swords. It is not to be advanced with swords and violence. It is to be advanced with faith and obedience. Then the next time we see Peter, he just goes like total opposite. He goes from, you know what, I'm willing to kill for Jesus, to I don't know who he is. Three times a croc crows. And what happens? A crow crocs. Crow crows. A bird, a croc. Crow. A rooster. Crows. Who said rooster? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really should read the scriptures more, shouldn't I? I just got caught up in the croc thing. I don't know. So all of a sudden, three times he says, I don't know who he is. He completely denies Jesus. He, Peter's all over the place, isn't he? He's just all over the place. And he, he goes away from it. Bitterly weeping. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. But then he's resurrected. And there is a scene 
where Jesus is uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter and the other disciples are out in the boat. They're going back to, they've gone back to fishing. When Peter sees him, he jumps out of the boat. He swims to Jesus. Don't you think that man feels a, quite a bit of guilt? After the breakfast, Jesus goes and has a talk with him. And he says to him three times, do you think that's a coincidence? No. He denied him three times. And now he comes to him three times. And he says to him, he says, he says do you love me? And each time Peter says, yes. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's asking Peter to commit his life to him. And then he tells Peter. He does not sugarcoat it. He prophesies Peter's future again. And he says, Peter, you're going to be crucified for your defense of the faith. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. This is a depiction of it by Caravaggio. I don't know about you, but I've failed Jesus just like Peter. I remember a time in, in, in this, this, this Bible study, and, and you know, I'm talking, I was here talking to this lady, but her son was there, and, and you know, he is just, oh, he was just so aggravating. Next thing I know, I'm, up, I'm across the table from him, standing up, and I'm yelling at him. In defense of the gospel of Christ. You're not going to believe this. Neither he nor his mama wanted anything to do with what I had to say. I've been too rough at times. There are people in the name of Jesus, they've, they've, they've physically slapped others and they've physically taken the life of others in defense of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not how you defend me. But I've also been on the other side to all of that where I've been guilty of saying nothing, almost hiding the fact that I even know Jesus. And I've begged for God's forgiveness. And I, like Peter, tried swimming back into his presence. You know what I mean? And Jesus just keeps saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's great we repent, but he wants to know if we will commit our lives to him, if we will defend the faith, even if it means that I will be willing to die for Jesus. Folks, here's what I'm telling you. This, this goes back to the very foundation of this series. You get into this book and you read it and study it, not for knowledge, but to build your faith, to allow it to change you so that people can see Jesus in you, to see a true witness of what a life in Christ is all about. Study the issues, folks. Study the issues. Know what the world is saying about God. Know what it's saying about this book. Know what it's saying about Jesus Christ as our Savior. Know how to defend it. And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just pray for opportunities to defend your faith. That's probably the hardest of all of those. Lord, let me be your representative in this world that hates you. And that mocks you. And that says all kinds of things falsely against you. 
Let me be your defense. A true disciple of Jesus is about defending the faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, we thank you that you've loved us enough to bring us into your fold. Father, we thank you that you have saved us despite of how we have acted against you and shown in ways that we don't love you. But Father, you just continue to love us and to draw us to you. Father, help us to be your representatives Father, I pray for those that may be in here this morning and, and their faith is just not ready. They're just, they're just, they're not doing it. Father, just please put that within them. Let your spirit just enliven them. May your word just open up to them in ways that they had never seen and heard before. And, and Father, just let it just, it just absorb their lives in every way. And Father, may our world see it. May they see this church. May they see it as a light in a dark world. But Father, we just, we just ask you to be with us through it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.